In this week's episode of Studio Inter, we'll be analyzing the win against Spal, we'll be analyzing Inter's Mercato, uh, analyzing Spalletti as a coach, this week's Moji, Moratti and Frog, previewing Crotone and much, much more. Everything here on Studio Inter, only on Sempre Inter. Attenzione Ronaldo, salta anche Marchegiani e mette dentro il 3-0. Andiamo il principe, entra in aria, è solo, il tiro, è gol, è gol, è gol, è gol, è gol. Con Ronaldo a battere questo calcio di punizione molto lungo per Zamorano che gira bene al centro, attenzione, il destro, violentissimo. È lo spettacolare gol da parte di Zanetti. La prima squadra che vince qua è la nostra Inter, l'Inter vince. E Dillo, campione d'Europa, campione d'Europa. Bentornati, benvenuti to another edition of Studio Inter. I'm your host, Nima Tavalli Ruzzari, and I'm joined this week by a slightly revised panel, starting with uh, one of the usual suspects, Mr. Eduardo Del Monte. How are you doing, mate? What's up? Yeah, not so bad. Still a bit man flu You know how it is. Yeah, I think you gave... Actually, you very much know how it is. You've got something <laughs> yeah. much worse than that. Yeah, but I blame you. I think you've infected me through Skype <laughs> <laughs> from last week. And we're also joined uh, by the voice of the fans from Egypt, Mr. Mohamed Nassar. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that. Uh, no, I'm actually in, uh, back in Dubai now. So, uh, oh, you're back in Dubai. Yeah. Sunny and lovely. I am. Do you, ever get, and lovely. do you ever get cold? Like, do you ever get the flu in Dubai? Or is it just like... Yeah, oh, yeah, all the time. The ACs here are brutal. And uh, there's... Uh, <laughs> Fuck you so hard. Traveling in and out all the time. No, it's... Uh, it's uh, it's it can get pretty uh, pretty nasty, but it's all good here so far. And we're also very happy to be joined by uh, Carlo Garganese of Gold.com. Welcome, Carlo. Yeah, it's great to be on the show. Hi, guys. Good, good to have you. Um, you're you're obviously you run uh, for for most people who who've read Gold, you are Mr. Gold. Could you tell us a little bit what you do at Gold? <laughs> oh, it's nice for you to say that. Well, I've been at Gold for for ten years, so yeah. It, it, it's, uh, it's been a long time, and I've seen it, it grow from um, being a very small website to the you know the biggest uh, football biggest football website biggest football media in the world now. So um, you know right now my, my title is um, head of features. So I run all the um, all the kind of editorial, special content, special events, um, all the content both written and, and, and also, you know, other types of platforms such as, you know, videos and uh, social media stuff. Um, so that's my, my main job. But, um, you know, I get involved in, in, in quite a lot of stuff. And we have, you know, 38 editions around the world. So we have a very, very big network. And, yeah, it's great. It's a, it's a fun job and I enjoy it. Yeah, and you, it's amazing that, I mean, it's like, goal is, like you said, 37 different languages in, what, 150 countries or something? Like, ridiculous. That's it, yeah. I mean, we, we pretty much, uh, you know, every country in the world can, uh, you know, <laughs> it, we pretty much cover it. So, it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a unique website, and I think that's what, what helped it grow, really, because we were the first, the first uh, site to, to really try and cover football globally, and with the kind of, globalization we were kind of yeah we got there before everyone else and that's helped us be a success mm. 
Well, we're, we're very happy to have you with us because today we're going to do a uh, transfer recap or a review of Inter's Mercato this summer. Um, I read somewhere that uh, Inter were connected to 175 players during the past uh, three months, uh, but in the end ended up signing, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, not confirmed links, but at least reported in the Italian media was 175 um, different players. Uh, but in the end, Inter ended up signing uh, Luciano Spalletti, obviously he's not a player, uh, Daniel Padelli, Milan Skriniar, uh, Dalbert, Fabio Cancelo, Vecino, Valero, Caramo and Colidio. Um, so I thought we'd start off by saying, I mean, what, what, what were your expectations going into this? And do you think that Inter, Inter's Mercato has disappointed you? Um, I think they've done a, done a decent job. Um, I think it's it's always better to to evolve um, rather than you know have this big revolution. Um, and I mean, you mentioned there 175 players. I mean, if <laughs> if uh, Moratti was still in charge, he probably would have bought all 175. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, um, I think it's, it's it's better it's better to do things steadily. Um, and the thing is that people forget is that Inter already had a really good squad last season. Um, I think the the problem Inter had was you know, things were a little bit chaotic off the pitch, um, didn't really get in a top, top manager. Um, so I think Spalletti was right. As soon as he came in, he said, you know what, we've already got a good squad here. So, you know, I think the, the best signing of all is Spalletti because Inter have now got a coach, a top coach. Um, he's not necessarily a winner and maybe he might not be the guy to, to, to do the final step for you in terms of winning the Scudetto, but I think he'll definitely take you, take you forward and take you very close. And I think that's what you need now. So I think he, he, is, he is an excellent sign and he'll get you playing football to have a clear identity, something which you haven't really had for a while. You kept chopping and changing managers who had different identities. So um, I think he's, he's your, your best sign-in. Um, I think you've, you've done well uh, at centre-back, for the first team anyway. Stinia, um, from what I've seen, I, I watched all of Inter's games in, in pre-season and the first two games of the season, I think Skriniar has been fantastic um, all round, uh, both defensively and also in possession of the ball, bringing, bringing the ball out. He's, he's young. I think he, he looks like a, a really, really, um, really great prospect for the future, but he already looks like he's a, a good player already. So I think that was a great signing. Um you know, your centre midfield, I think you, you look pretty strong, uh, bringing in um, Vecino and uh, Borja Valero. Um, in terms of disappointments, I think you didn't, I'm not 100% sure yet, we'll have to wait and see whether you've solved your fullback issues. I mean, I know you brought in Dalbert and uh, Cancelo, who's obviously got the injury. Um, we'll have to wait and see uh, on both of those. Um, Cancelo, from what I've seen of him, is brilliant going forward, but very questionable how strong he is defensively. Um, and Dalbert, I, I'll just be honest with you, I have not seen enough of him um, to, to know just how well he's going to do. So I'm, I'm not sure on full-backs, and I think also you, you lack depth at, at centre-back. Um, so those are probably the, the negatives of the transfer window, but I think, think you, enough positives. And also, you didn't lose any, any top players either. Uh, keeping Perisic, I think, is important. Um, and the players you did lose were probably players that you, you know, that were either Deadwood or or problem players, you know, like Benega, uh, Medel. So all in all, I think you've done a decent uh, Mercato, not a, a, an amazing Mercato, but, a, you know, a good one. 
Um, yeah, yet uh, you say the Deadwood has left, yet Ranokia and Nagatomo are still at the club. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mo, have you got a question for Carlo? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, my question would uh, probably uh, better come at uh, the end of the, the Mercato section, but I mean, we've all heard uh, so much faff and bullshit about uh, financial fair play. Does anyone really know what it is and what's going on? Or are uh, club owners using it as a crutch whenever, uh, let's say, investment decisions uh, uh, change the priorities in, uh, in, in purchasing for a club? Do you guys, do you guys have any clarity on this? Because I mean, I mean, we've been reading here bits and pieces all over, and it's, I think it's the most opaque topic in, in world football at the moment. Maybe you can help us shed some light on, on it. <laughs> Yeah, I know it is a complicated subject, but I think what is 100% clear is um, PSG have shown us that um, that if you want to, um, you can get around financial fair play pretty blatantly. Um, and and I, I want to say get away with it. Um, I hope I'm wrong because this week UEFA did announce that they've that they opened up an investigation against PSG for, for their con- conduct in the, in the transfer market with regards to FFP. So we'll see if they actually do punish PSG and whether you know, they do anything about it, whether they actually have the power to do anything about it. Um, but, but yeah, um, PSG have proved that it's, it's very easy to get around it. Um, I mean, the Mbappe deal, all they, what they simply did, and it's actually something that Italian clubs have been doing for, for a few years, actually, um, but it hasn't been highlighted because they haven't, you know, Italian clubs haven't spent the money that, that PSG have on, on, or will do on Mbappe, which was something like 180 million euros. Uh, and all they did was they just signed him on loan for this year um, with a um, with an obligation to buy from from next year. And so the the money will be will be pushed forward to um, to next year, so it won't come off their their accounts this year. So that won't. That, that that's how they've got away with that one. Um, with Neymar, I mean, that's 220 million million euros. Um, what what's happened? I mean, what PSG have been doing for quite a number of years is they've been um, boosting their, their their commercial income. Um, what what FFP um, demands is that you can only spend money that you make as a club. Um, so if you are making 100 million euros a year from commercial income, you are, according to FFP, allowed to spend that money um, in, the, in the transfer market. So um, what, has, I mean, what Barcelona were complaining about um, after Neymar was signed was that PSG um, wouldn't, be able to, wouldn't have been able to afford to spend that money on Neymar if it wasn't for the commercial income, which they are artificially injecting that they're basically saying you know what we're getting x amount of money a year i think it's like 300 million from the if i remember from the latest deloitte um uh deloitte doing an annual put out an annual list where they reveal how much um each club are making um and i think it was something like 300 million euros that, that psg claimed to be making from commercial income and to be honest with you, PSG are not even the most expensive, uh, the most popular club in France, let alone uh, a club that, according to Deloitte, are making more com- commercial income than than Barcelona and Real Madrid, which is, uh, you know, let, let's be honest with you, that that's impossible. It's absolutely impossible. And PSG were 
were created, I think, in 1970. Um, yeah. So they don't have a big history. They're not a particularly popular club. And, <laughs> you know, um, you know, I, I, through goal, you know, I see what <laughs> what content sells and you know what people read so i know how popular <laughs> the clubs are um, so so yeah i mean um there are question marks that having said that though you know that doesn't mean that i agree with financial fair play because i think that financial fair play was wrong so i have sympathy with psg on that in that sense because you know mm-hmm. if it's only the big clubs that are allowed to spend money if it's the only big clubs that are going to make money through commercial income through selling shirts through merchandise do, do, do you know what I mean? So yeah. that would almost, you're almost saying to PSG, you know what? You're never allowed to, to challenge Real Madrid and Barcelona. So in some ways, I can understand why, you know, they've said, you know what? Why should we go with these rules? You know, we want to we be a big club. We've got the money. We want to spend it. You know, why can't we do that? Um, so I, I see it both ways. I don't want any PSG fans that are listening to think that I've just got it in for them. Um, but... If we are playing by the rules, then it's quite clear to me that financial fair play is just a, is a total waste of time. Yeah, that's a really interesting point there. I think with um, we're going to get to the Inter part of it, Mo, is that um, Inter managed to break even with the financial fair play thing. But what happened was that the Chinese government decided to pull in the brakes on foreign, foreign spending uh, yeah. in certain areas, um, such as football. Uh, and Yeah, that, I mean... That's but that's not that's not the excuse that uh, that Auxilio gave. No, it was all uh, obligations of FFP, FFP obligations. Yeah, but that's, that's because no, it's not, it's no one not could really it. stand up and, and say anything because the whole matter is so opaque, and and and, and you can't. No, no, uh, no journalist can uh, can challenge him on that. That's that's all I'm saying. Well, yeah, I know, but I think that what we know is, I mean, because it happened in Espanol as well. They they weren't able to spend any other money because of their Chinese owners, and there's going to be the, I mean, the Chinese uh, Communist Party's uh, Congress in October is 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 going to be decisive for that. Um, I think I think the plan, to be perfectly honest with you, I think they're really Suning wanted to burn money this summer. I think what happened was that when they when when these directions came that in certain areas you can't move capital outside of China, uh, they, and obviously the Chinese Communist government want to keep more, as much as capital they can inside the country to help the country grow. And Suning, being a Fortune 500 company, you know they operate on a global market and they have to grow, operate on a global market to grow. And I think what happened was that the Chinese government did, did not want the money being funneled out and therefore being not able to be taxed inside China. Uh, so they kind of decided to, to do this thing where they said sports ventures and sports companies uh, can't invest as much as they want to, uh, like they have been doing. I think that was part of it, because I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that they were, they were going to go for it. I think the, the issue was that they wanted to break even by end of June, and then just go completely crazy, because then got an entire, and then, you know, see if, basically do kind of what Milan did, to see, you know, make, you know, go for the Champions League, either we make it or we don't. You know, it's like, it's, you know, go for, you know, put all your eggs in one basket, because, I, I, honest to God, if Milan don't make it to the Champions League, I, I, I yeah, those interest rates and the black borrowed money, I think, is one of the most like aggressive hedge funds and uh, and banks that they've loaned money from with ridiculous interest rates. I'd, if Milan, you know, they they will, they need to start paying that money back, and with Champions League, then they can you know then they can kind of bring cash injection to the club via different investors, etc. And I think that's what Suning wanted to do, but then were prevented via the Chinese government um, imposing these uh, these rules. Um, Eduardo, do you have any question for Carlo? 
Yeah, I was, um, was... I'm picking up from, like, an Italian article that I read. I'm pretty sure, like... I think, I think Gianni Mora wrote this. He was saying, like... And, again, we're going back to the whole, like, ownership. Like, he was basically saying, these Chinese owners really aren't that promising. And I guess I'm continuing the topic, but he was basically saying, like, he'd have preferred the Italian-style ownership. He'd have preferred having an Arab-style owner who would invest a lot, even though there are situations where this has not been that good. But with Chinese owners, he was underlined that there are a lot of examples that actually they've showed up in Western Europe and money hasn't necessarily been forthcoming and none of the clubs seem to be doing that well out of it. So I was wondering, like, do you think this is some sort of, I'm not going to say new phase, but, well, yeah, is it that kind of thing? Like, do you think, yeah, we're not going to necessarily, even... Beyond, shall we say, the, the, the Communist Party sort of interfering and what have you, are these Chinese owners really in it just to spend money and, or are they there just to do the minimum and get publicity? <laughs> well, I guess, I mean, you guys should know better in terms of the individual case with Inter. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I do know we have a Chinese edition um, mm. and, I mean, I, I do know 100%, um, as, as you guys were just saying, that there has been uh, big restrictions on... On, on overseas investments, uh, on, on, on everything really, and uh, you know, real estate, you know, hotels, movie theaters, entertainment, um, you know, and sports clubs. Um, so there has been, you know, big restrictions. Uh, they don't want money, you know, going out of, the, con- out, out of the, the country. They don't want, you know, capital outflows. You know, they're, they're worried about the, you know, the financial security of, of, of China and and you know they don't they they want the, the the domestic economy to to prosper um so you know that is definitely happening but you know i guess why were milan you know able to to spend all yeah. this money while while inter weren't so i mean i know there's a lot of question marks over where the money is with with milan and you know there's a lot of it was very seems a bit shady as well so um yeah. <laughs> After the, the that was it Reuters investigation where they they, yeah. they went to the offices and there was not nothing there. So, <laughs> 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 so it's, it's, it's a continuation of Berlusconi, isn't it? Like, <laughs> oh yeah, I did think that myself. I thought you know. <laughs> so who knows? I, I I really I really don't know. But you know what? That's football. That's football for you nowadays. I think um, not just Italian football um, is. I, I I grew up absolutely loving football as a game, as a sport. Um, I've uh, everybody that works with me daily is sick of me complaining every day about <laughs> how football's become just a, this big business that it's you know it's not a sport or a game anymore. It's just all about who can how they can make more and more money from it. Um, the owners, but more you know the men in suits wherever they are within the football world. Um, and you know even if you take even if you take PSG, for example, I mean, I can't remember who it was, but someone was quoted as saying, I think it was Arsene Wenger, actually, um, who who said, you know, that PSG is owned by a country now. <laughs> and well, it's like, it's like my man City, isn't it? Because I read today that, was it was it the president of La Liga, who the, like the Primera División, who said that City should also, Man City should also be investigated because how yeah. can they spend money? Because they, they've basically got a revenue... Uh, a marketing revenue stream which is identical to to PSG mm. so so that's that's you know it's it's it's, it's a country sponsoring a, a football club now yeah <laughs> yeah exactly exactly and you know this is this is the sad thing about it this is where where football has come to now um i mean i i appreciate that you know serie a clubs 
Um, I mean, with the exception of Juventus, who haven't actually been quite well run um, in the last kind of five to eight years, um, you know, the other Italian clubs who who were that, that were run almost like they were in the 90s, um, you know, I, I do totally understand that if the likes of Milan and Inter wanted to, to, to become competitive again, that they needed to, you know, they need these takeovers from China or from the Middle East or where, wherever. Um, but at the same time, you know, I'm a traditionalist and I think it's it's pretty sad that we've totally lost the, the, the soul of football. Um, mm. And in Serie A, you know, that is, I guess, having, you know, your Italian owners and having that feeling of Italy. I'm not saying, you know, there isn't that anymore, but we've lost, a li- we've lost that a little bit with the Chinese owners. Um, and we've definitely lost it. I mean, the Premier League, you know, we've seen what's happened in the Premier League now. It's just a, it's just a, a marketing, it's just a product now, completely, isn't it? Um, mm, so yeah. that's the sad thing uh, about football in general. That's a, that's a very good point. And as, as a, as a fellow, like traditionalist in that sense, I do. I mean, the, every every country, every league has its own, you know, characteristic traits for good and bad. And I personally absolutely love the Italian crazy football president. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. the, the, yeah. the Zamparinis, the Gauchis, the, you know, the, you know, all these old, old, old school guys, um, you know, uh, and I mean, the last one being, the last living one being Ferrero, I think. Uh, he, but they, then again, you want to talk about dodgy, dodgy money and dodgy finances, can do a yeah. whole, can do a whole, um, whole, whole episode on that. No, but you're absolutely right. Now it's much more clean cut. It's it's very it's very business run and it's run by PR firms for countries in the Middle East or Russian oligarchs. Yeah. Um, so you're right. So it's um, yeah. It's well, to, to, to hear to hear is still a character, though. You know, mixing up his. Oh my god. Mixing, <laughs> up, mixing I mean, up his Dutch and Germans. <laughs> the funny thing is that interview is done in Indonesian. <laughs> and I, I, I've had friends, you know, we, we, we're, we're very lucky to have a huge following in Indonesia at Semperinto because they're, they're absolutely crazy for their football and culture in generally. And, and a few of them, like, translated to me word for word, like what you said, like the word for Dutch and the word for German is not even the same. It's not even close. Because so he went out <laughs> on, on Twitter afterwards saying that, you know, I mixed up Dutch with Deutsch. But you didn't like you were speaking in Indonesian and the two words aren't even related. So you're just talking shit. Just apologize. I mean, he doesn't know what he, I mean. He doesn't know what he's talking about. I mean, well, isn't he, Indonesia a former colony of Holland anyway? I think so, isn't it? Bloody I'm yeah. not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. That's, that's even worse. <laughs> yeah, like I think they do have a discreet familiarity with you know things Dutch anyway. Oh my god. The thing yeah, is, that makes his whole know. comment about Nicola Ventola being a favourite Inter player, that just kind of turns it into nonsense, doesn't it? Like, someone just went, watched a bunch of YouTube clips and was like, right, pick this guy. Like, no, 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 no. Like Vent- Ventola is because he's married to an Indonesian woman, I think. That's what, I thought he's ah! Indonesian. Yeah, there was, there was an Indonesian uh, connection there. That's why he knew about Ventola. So, yeah, <laughs> we, we get these characters now instead. Yes. <laughs> But that's more like uh, that's, that's not as entertaining as Zamparini. I, I prefer Zamparini. <laughs> I, I, I think Zamparini. Crazy. I think Zamparini should have a like a twenty four seven camera crew following him around. Just to, I'd, I'd pay to watch that. If it's gonna be trash TV, let's have some good trash TV. <laughs> <laughs> Cassano and the Cassano and Zamparini show. I'm telling you, <laughs> it'll get it'll get ratings. 
I'd so, watch that. If um, if you're giving on a on a rate of classic one to seven, a uh, one to ten, then uh, Carlo, what would you give Inter's uh, Mercato? Uh, I would say seven, seven yeah. out of ten, seven out of ten. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm looking at it, uh, you know, I'm looking at who's going to finish in the top four this season, and and I think Inter will, will, will finish in the top four. So, in that sense, I would give it a seven. So who are your top four? We, we've already said our top five uh, uh, last episode. So if you go from five to one, who do you, who do you, how, how do you think the Serie A is going to finish? Five to one, I'd go five Roma. Um, wow. I said, that, I said that at the beginning of the season. Um, and, and then after watching Roma versus Inter, um, I, I was even more sure. But, you know, there's a, you, you can never be, it's very, very difficult to predict. So you, you can never really tell. But uh, I'm going to go five Roma. Um, Four Milan, three Inter, and <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna be brave and I'm gonna say two Juventus and one Napoli. Yeah, that's that's exactly Ooh. what I said last week. Yeah, I, yeah, I, that's I think, a podcast from last week. Yeah, yeah, I think we all said that. Yeah, I think, I think we, we all went Juve seconds. I'm yeah. partly because I'm a bit bored of Juventus winning it every <laughs> single year, but also because <sighs> I, I, I do. I do I do have a soft spot for Napoli, but I think they play such amazing football. They just they they just have to win it just for the good of football. You know, they I play agree. for me. They're the best footballing team in Europe now. Now that Barcelona have gone a bit crazy, I think um, they play such an incredible football to watch. I couldn't agree with you more. I think Sarri plays the best football in Europe. I agree one hundred percent with that. What about uh, Capocannoniere? Who do you think will that? Who, who that will be? I think uh, Icardi. Um, and I say that as someone who who's not necessarily his biggest fan. I still, <laughs> I, I I mean, I, I like him as a player. I, I'm not talking about anything about offside uh, off the pitch at all. Okay? Just yeah. I, I, I just I just think that he's um, he he needs to become a little bit more complete in terms of what he contributes outside the penalty area. Um, in being able to, I think a, a top striker nowadays also needs to be able to kind of create chances for himself, take on a player, beat a player, dribble past the player. Uh, I'm still not totally 100% convinced that Icardi's right there with that. Um, but in terms of obviously, in terms of finishing, he's he's as good as anyone out there in in, in the world. He's he's so lethal in front of goal. Um, and I think um, with Inter not in Europe, he's going to play every single game. Um, and he'll probably take the penalties. Will he take the penalties instead of Candreva? I mean, he took the one against. Yeah, he's won this he's, season. He's, yeah. he's he's the he's the he's the one who takes them. Yeah. Yeah, so he's going to get the penalty goals as well, and I think that some of the other contenders like Higuain and and Merson, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, not only do they do they not all take the penalties, but they're also going to be rotating because they're going to have Champions League games and stuff. So I think that whereas Icardi, I think will play every single game. Um, so I think Icardi um, will, will, will win it this year. Cool. Well, I, I, that's exactly what we all said uh, last week. I think so as well. I think, but I think this season we'll see. Um, uh, Dybala who will absolutely just explode onto the scene I think this uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing Argentina in next year's World Cup with Messi, Dybala and Icardi up front God and Aguero on the bench Can you, I mean Jesus yeah. it's, it's just going to be it's just going to be so interesting but I think Dybala is, 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 is just I think he's mm. going to take the Serie A by storm yeah meanwhile Italy Italy have got Immobile up front so <laughs> there you go no, but Belotti as well. It's not as bad as it used to be. I mean, oh yeah, but, uh, yeah, Belotti's good, but you know, <laughs> maybe not the other options so much. Immobile is worse for Serie A. Immobile just the minute you ask him to do something that's outside of his comfort zone, it just doesn't work. It, no, 
I don't yeah. know what it is. He's like, he's, oh, I, I can't. I mean, when we're talking about the Italian national team, I think now we're, I think they've actually turned the corner and actually are building something that looks good. But if we're looking two years back or four years back, I honestly, God, can't remember historically such a poor national team, like ever in Italy's history. Like in terms of, def- like maybe not goalkeeper and defenders, but midfield and onwards. It's just, I mean, it's just a hangover from 2006. Yeah, I think, to be honest, I think Italy had a pretty bad team in 2010. It was a, in terms of Not names, old. it was good, but they were old. They were all old. I mean, Cannavaro was still there and he was like nearly 37. Um, you know, it was a, a Lippi, which just took all, took all the old, oldies from, from 2006. Oh, I think it would be of course, because... Oh, God. Am yeah, I right? Oh, God. Yeah, don't get me started with Simone Pepe. Believe me now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I actually think this is going to sound really weird, but I actually think the Euro 2016 squad was worse than the one that, that, that Italy have got now. It's just you know Italy had an absolute genius in charge and content who just agree, agree, one hundred percent. He just got so just got the best out of them. I mean, he's just. I mean, see what he's doing with with Chelsea. I mean, he's made Victor Moses look like a world beater. You know, so. <laughs> <laughs> so I just so, say Simone Paduin. That's all I gotta say. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, he's got what four Scudettos, Paduin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. Ridiculous. Simone Paduin has four Scudetti. Messi has none. I just remind <laughs> you guys. That. <laughs> That's a brilliant example. Right. Well, um, if people want to follow you on on uh, Twitter, it's uh, at Ga- Carlo Garganese. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm usually complaining when I when I do tweet. <laughs> yes, you are. Yes, you are. <laughs> are, you, are you guys going to run this epic Ask Carlo hashtag soon again? <laughs> Probably not, because it just gets you just you know trolling me. <laughs> Gargan is out. It's <laughs> me. Yeah, yeah, I love trolling you when you do that. Sorry about that. <laughs> Uh, I just love how you ignore me too in the live feed. <laughs> you just get up with it. And I can see that you've read it, but you just ignore me. Brilliant. <laughs> right, I'll stop trolling. And at Carlo Garganese, thank you so much for coming on, Carlo. No, no, it was a pleasure. It was good fun. Have uh, yeah, have fun and uh, yeah, have a good season. Cheers, and we'll, we'll be sure to bring you back. And thanks for coming on. Likewise. Uh, take care, yeah. man. Thanks, ciao. guys. Ciao, ciao. 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 Well, uh, I thought now um, what Carlos said regarding uh, the Mercato, he gave Inter a seven. Um, I, um, I, have a, I have a few addendums uh, to that. Um, well, but I'm going to ask you guys what you think first. On a scale of one to ten, Mo, what do you think? I'm, a, I'm actually quite optimistic. I, only because when, when all these uh, fantastic big-name signings were bandied about at the beginning of the season, I... I like. I've grown so cynical over the last six years that I never really believed that we'd ever get Vidal, we'd ever get uh, you know a- any of those names that we were we were linked with. Yeah. So, I- in light of that, like this this is a really nuts and bolts Mercato, and I think we needed that more than anything else. Uh, my my only one big disappointment, like we said the last week, is the fact that Ranocchia still. On the payroll. <laughs> no, I really. I mean, like, because because not 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 just because he's still on the payroll, but it means that we failed in acquiring a better option, and and that just sucks because it was a clear, you know, a, a, a clear uh, weak spot in, in in the squad. But overall, I'm, I'm quite I'm quite happy. I mean, again, I I haven't seen Caramo play. I haven't seen Cancelo play enough to have an opinion of them or Dalbert. 
but uh, they're, they're players who Spalletti seems to have been impressed by, and, um, and they can't be worse than uh, Ansaldi and uh, Nagatomo. So, so let's see. All in all, very, very positive, yeah. Okay, so on a scale of 1 to 10, what do you give it? I'd, I'd say uh, uh, a cautious 8. A cautious 8? Still a yeah. bit, though. That's right. That's yeah. uh, Eduardo, what about you? Um, I was going to say something along the lines of B-. Uh, European mark, I'd say 7 out of 10. Italian mark, for the Gazetta purists, I'd say 6.5. Yes, I'm, that's the, it's the Gazetta I'm after. The Gazetta more ratings I'm after. Okay, yeah, 6.5, not Tutto Sport gave Pogba a six and a half for his performance in the Euro, in the Euro <laughs> 2016 final for some reason. Everyone else gave him like a five. Tutto Sport gave him a six and a half. Yes. LOL. Tutto Sport or Tutto Sport, so they're not. It like... is so good. People were laughing at it years ago, and they're keeping it up. It's a strong work. Well, I mean, they're based, they are based. I mean, I think I think they're basically open about being like what what Marcha and Sport and AS are to Real Madrid and Barcelona. I mean, they are that to the Turin clubs. I mean, especially Juventus. Yeah. So um, yeah, no. Um, well, but, but I mean, speaking of the Italian newspapers, uh, I, I was quite surprised that the Gazzetta gave Inter a seven and then Napoli and Roma a seven and a half, and I didn't quite understand that. Well, for the Mercati. Yes. That was stupid. Well, well I, I, yeah. I, I think I think they gave Roma I think they gave Roma and Inter and Napoli such high ratings because of the fact that Roma and Napoli and Inter all hung on to their star players. I mean, Nainggolan didn't go. Stroke, uh, Roma go. did not. Uh, well, they sold Salah and they yeah. sold Salah and, and Rudiger and of course Salah Salah they had to sell. Um, Rudiger, I think they they wanted to because I, I don't. I felt like Di Francesco wasn't. You know, he did not want to. He didn't want him. Um, but yeah, okay, fine. I'll give you that much. I'll give you that. But 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 when you look at, I mean, Callejon, Mertens, you know, they, they managed to keep every single one, and you know, brought in a few. You know, and also they recovered Milik and some other players. So I think that's what I think. Monchi today said it. The Roma sporting director said that. There's a third dimension to the transfer window. It's not just players in and out. It's also the players that you keep. And I think from that perspective, um, for me, I always look at it. Uh, I always look at it players in, players out. And for me, players in were exactly players who who, who Inter needed. Those are the kinds of role, roles that Inter needed to fill, and they and they brought it in. And if you look at the players that left, um, I mean. Um, I've got the image. I've got the list right here. It's um, it's uh, it's. Uh, uh, let me see where it is. There it is. Right. It's Carizzo, Andreoli, Murillo, Di Marco, Ansaldi, Medel, Condogbia, Banega, Biabiani, Gabigol, Jovetic, Caprari, and Palacio. Now, arguably, you know, those are players who didn't wouldn't a lot of dead play. Weight. It's a lot of dead weight, and they managed yeah. to get. Almost 80, nope. 90 million for those. So the only problem is uh, uh, Ranocchia stayed and Murillo and uh, and Andreoli left. I think. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I would, would have felt would so have much preferred. safer with uh, Murillo on the bench and Ranocchia, you know, <laughs> I, I think, screwing I think over can, some Premiership team. I can understand why they decided to cash in on Murillo because obviously Valencia wanted to buy him and that gave yeah. them money to, to, to finance other things. That's fair enough. But I don't understand why they didn't hang on to Andreoli because Andreoli is better than Ranocchia. 
You know, that, that's, just, that's just how it is. And with Auxilio coming on just moments after the window shut and saying that, well, you know, we had so many offers for Anokia, but we couldn't take them because we needed to shore up our defence. That infuriates yeah, yeah. me. That infuriates yeah. me a lot because last season, Andreoli played and he was coming back from injury. Sure, he's 30, 30, 31, but he's not supposed to be a starting player. He's a backup player. And Andreoli yeah. has always performed well as a backup player when called upon. So that, that, that annoyed me quite a bit. And then, obviously, n- n- you know, Nagatomo staying, but that was Paletti. Paletti was very clear that he wanted him to stay, um, and, he, he wanted, and he didn't want Ansaldi, and instead Ansaldi left, and we got four or five million for him. So, you know, um, it, it's, it's, he, will, he will leave at some point, I, I, I hope. But, I but will not speak of uh, Nagatomo lest uh, Edo uh, start uh, tweeting about uh, some uh, Nagatomo love again, huh? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Nagatomo Anonymous. <laughs> Nagatomo Holics. Anonymous. It ruined no, my marriage. It ruined my finances. My kids don't have... talk to me anymore. But I'm faithful, man. I'm faithful to Yuto. I used to have a home. I used to have a car. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but um uh, no but for me, players in, I'd give Inter a, a seven and players out I'd give him a seven as well. I think seven. And also for me, you know, hanging on to Perisic and playing hardball the way Inter did Inter did, that was so important mentally. Because that also yeah. allowed that also allowed the club to kind of you know, show that we you know we're the real thing. And if if, if Suning weren't financially sound Perisic would have been gone in June for 20 million. He wasn't. Yeah. So for me, that's a huge, that's a huge statement of intent. And uh, Skriniar, I mean, it looks like you know, it feels that we've done, we've done a Mercato that might not be so sexy, but we brought in players that the coach wants. And I think the signing Spalletti was 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 the, really the right thing to do because this is a coach who's never failed in the Serie A. Last season, he finished second with Roma with the highest points tally Roma has ever had in their history in, yeah, in yeah. the Serie A. So, you know, it wasn't 100 years ago when he had success. So, no, I, I, I say seven. I say seven for me. So I, th- I, I would say, yeah, I'll just add about Roma. The only thing, the only little doubt I have is that they held on to some of their players, right? Like, fair enough. But, I don't know, you still lost Salah. You still lost, like, Rudiger. At a price that wasn't, you know, massive. Like, that, that, that starting lineup looks like a complete mess. Like, when they played us, it was like, they basically were counting on a 20-year-old to be their left-back. And yeah, I get it. They had sort of an injury situation, but you get the feeling that their squad had maybe weaknesses last season, and they kind of just weren't dressed at all. What, jo- what Solano was saying last week, he said, you know, he doesn't really know what Moreno brings to the table, for example. And that's really worrying, because Moreno was basically bought as a replacement. So that's why that, yeah, the Inter 7 seems fair enough to me because we don't exactly know what we will get out of certain players, like even Dalbert, Cancelo. I really hope that Dalbert can be good, but I just don't know yet. It, it, you know, Cancelo's hurts. But with Roma, I look at their starting lineup, it looks a whole lot worse than last year. Inter's looks better, no matter what, really. Um, I think it does. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and I think all of this... You know, there's, there's one part of it. Suning never really went out and said that they were going to spend any money. What they said was, uh, and who, you know, and I've read, read people misquote that quote by Auxilio. What Auxilio said in April was that 
into, so we have the money to buy a Messi and Ronaldo, but financial fair play regulations prevent us from making those kinds of investments. Yeah. Um, so I think people have interpreted that as, as you know, we're going to buy Messi and Ronaldo because nowadays people don't read anything besides, you know, the 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 the, the rubric or the title of a. Uh, of, of an article, but yeah. that's how it was. Um, I think, I think, I honestly think that they were going to spend that money starting in July, but with the Chinese government imposing those sanctions on, spe- spe- you know, specifically football and sports ventures, then they kind of they had to they had to you know they had to do a one eighty. Yeah, and there may be another thing into it as well, which is was that the famous interview in which he basically called out all of Inter's strategy and called out so here. And sort of, it looked like he was going to get fired back then. Was that the same interview? Where no, 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 no. The one where he called out to here was when he uh, was. That was when Sunin took over. In uh, yeah, that, that's when he praised Sunin, and he said that the, the previous strategy was absolutely horrible, which okay. it was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Tohir uh, Tohir was, and that's when Tohir went out and liked on Instagram a post where it said where it said. Um, What's it called? Um, I'll see you out. And then Tahir goes and likes that comment <laughs> on his Instagram. Fucking children, isn't he? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> right. And then it caused a kind of a little bit of a mini, miniature storm. But, I mean, that just goes to show that Tahir has absolutely nothing to say about Inter at all. Uh, despite being the club's president. Yeah, I mean, he's we, a we, we, man, we, isn't he? We, we still are Pazza Inter, aren't we? Our president is the least most important person in the world. Is the least important person in the club. We can't tell <laughs> the difference between Andy Bramer and Frank Reichard, <laughs> which, you no, know I mean, like, yeah, to me, that just summed up that man's that man's entire presidency. He just bought Inter because it was a cheap deal and he could make a lot of money, which he has. Yes. And as soon as we, and I, you know, I've said this for almost two years now. As soon as Inter qualify for the Champions League group stage, he is out. He's out. You'll cash in then. I will guarantee yeah. you that. I'll guarantee you that. Yeah, you're completely right. It's, That's it's worrying about because money. that kind of extra investment money will probably just go into Tohir's pockets, pockets, which, you know... Oh, def- oh, definitely. I mean, he's already made 30... Like, if you think about it, he bought... Was 50 70, million, is it? Something like that? He's gone 30 million plus on... Okay. Like, he, bought, he bought 70% of Inter. For what he bought 70% of Inter, he sold 40%. And he's made thirty million plus already. So the rest is just it's just gonna be another you know, it's just gonna be, you know, plus in his pocket and capital gonna, gains. Know, capital gains, exactly. Yeah, I mean speaking of which Carlo was talking about we need a rich Arab. Well we've got an Arab who's an interista as well. Why don't why aren't you rich and buy the club, Mo? <laughs> You're an, area, Arab. Uh, you're an Arab. You're an Arab. You live in the oil uh, wealth <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but you're, you're you're Arab. You live in Dubai. You're an interista. Yes. Uh, sort it out, mate. Sort it all out. Right, all right, all right. I'll work on it. Next podcast. Not that hard. <laughs> I mean, come on. You must be mingling with the billionaires every day. <laughs> I'll, I'll uh, work something out for next week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we can break it on some studio input. And joining us now from Canada is the president of the April Summers uh, fan club in Canada, Mr. Max Deluca. Great to be here, Nima, but I just want to make a correction. I'm the retired president of the April Summers fan club, all right? Retired. That's true, that's true. Um, Did you see that video she put up with, uh, (laughs) when was it, this last weekend or what was it? (laughs) When, when... uh, Yeah, (laughs) 
After Perisic's wonder goal, she uh, <laughs> put out a video of her uh, double D doing, uh, jiggling around. Uh, it's, it was embarrassing, but whatever. My favorite one was when she goes, oh, Maurito, come on, score one for us. I need, like, scored the first goal. Uh, sorry. It's absolutely brilliant. If you haven't seen it, I think it's on her uh, Instagram or, or is it a video on her, on her Twitter or something? It's really funny. I'll retweet it, yeah. Yeah, you got to retweet it. Uh, <laughs> right. And we're also uh, joined now by uh, Mr. Thanos Gelas. Welcome. Hello, everybody. Uh, for those of you who read some printer, you'll remember uh, that Thanos used to uh, write weekly every single uh, analyze Inter's every single match uh, uh, and at sempreinter.com. Um, Thanos is a UEFA C-level uh, qualified coach. He's had experience with Inter Settore Giovanile as a translator and as a coach. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, Thanos, for those who don't know you. Well, what can I say? I'm 22 years old. Uh, I have a UEFA coaching license. Um, yeah, that's about it. I don't have anything else to say. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Right, um, we've asked you to come on, come, uh, come today because we wanted to, because um, we wanted to use your expertise regarding analyzing uh, Inter's uh, or Spalletti's um, tactics uh, and his yeah. uh, and his uh, development as a coaching uh, coaching. Because you got a piece about that, a very long piece coming on tomorrow morning at uh, SempreInter.com. So. People who listen better check that out. It's a, it's, a, it's, gonna, it's an awesome piece I've read. I think it's brilliant. But I wanted to, to to ask you a little bit more in detail about it, and also about by also analyzing the match against Spal. So let's get right down to it. Um, Mo, um, the Spal game, Spal turned out to be anything but a pushover. They turned out to be very tight. Turned out to be tactically very gifted and a very hard nut to to uh, to, to to break uh, for Inter. But still, yes. but still, Inter managed to do that. Why, if you compare the two different, uh, if you compare, if you look at the match as a whole and compare the first half with the second half, what what do you think Inter did really well, and what do you think Inter didn't do that well? Uh, I think. Uh, oh, sorry, sorry, uh, Mo, yeah, Mo, 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 go, 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 go. Uh, Mohammed first, and then I'll bring you in. Okay. 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 Yeah. No, I think. Um, I, I think what worked quite well was uh, starting the match with uh, João Mario. I think that was uh, quite important. It gave uh, it gave the side uh, that added dimension. And I don't know if you agree with me uh, on this, Thanos, but this ability to penetrate uh, through the middle, his uh, work close to uh, Icardi made the Frida spaces for for them to find up front. So I, I think I think that's. That that was the key to unlocking the game in the first half, and then of course you know as Romario's energy levels dipped in the second half, everyone sort of uh, died down. And when Brozovic unlikely you know came in uh, for uh, for Romario and, and injected that little bit of pace again, we were able to pick up the pace. But I think the key was wasn't because everything from the flanks, although of course Dalbera did a lot better than Nagatomo would have done. But we had, you know, that uh, dumb and dumber uh, situation <laughs> on the right flank. So, so the flank work was uh, was pretty much more of the same. I think the the thing that 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 did that Spalletti did quite well was the through the middle, uh, not not just injection work, but passing the ball through the middle at the final third. 
And and when João Mario's energy levels dropped, this is when we sort of uh, had that dip in the second half from the 60th minute on to, the, on to when uh, Brozovic had come on. So, yeah, I don't know. So, Thanos, uh, do you agree with that analysis? Um, yes. First of all, the, the first problem for Inter was that they basically had one full day of practice because not only their players uh, did play international games, but they also had around 10 to 12 hours of traveling to go to South America, many of them, and then 10 to 12 hours to return. So that's another day lost. And, you know, you could say that uh, it wasn't a game that Spalletti could do a lot of tactical changes to fit into Spal's scheme. But uh, Spal was also very good organized. Their lines, uh, all three of them, the forwards, the midfielders, and the defenders had a distance between them around 15 to 18 meters, which is not a lot of space to move around. And Spalletti basically tried to do what? Uh, he... He saw that the, that Spal's wing backs, the two defenders on the wings, were always staying with uh, Kandreva and Perisic. So that meant that there was space lower on the pitch for the two fullbacks to get the ball and always take advantage of the fact that they were marked by the, by the three midfielders of Spal. This meant that by always changing the side of the ball, by making long balls from one side to the other, or uh, by changing sides uh, with the help of uh, Borja Valero or Gallardini, uh, they were able to find spaces on the sides and try to cross from deep or do some combinations on the wings. Uh, yes, uh, I lost the train of thought. Okay. Uh, Max, uh, that's really. Uh, how do you think? Um, I mean, um, uh, Thomas spoke about the fact that Spalletti only had 24 hours with this team, given how everyone uh, was away on international hol- uh, international break, etc., etc. Um, did were you surprised by how difficult Spal turned out to be? And do you think Inter handled uh, Spal's uh, compactness uh, well? Yeah. Um Inter doesn't have a very good record after international breaks. I don't know the exact number. So um, I was a little worried about this game, a little wary of the upcoming game, just because I know Spal likes to play defensively. Um, I mean, I'm going to give credit where credit's due. Spal played, uh, they were tight, they were pesky. Um, But uh, I think Inter's uh, talents came shining through. Spalletti's tactics uh, came shining through, as uh, Thanos uh, uh, thoroughly mentioned. Um, I mean, we didn't play well. It wasn't a vintage uh, interperformance by any means, but we still ran out two nothing winners. We kept a clean sheet. So, I mean, there's not too much to complain about, at least from my end. Mm, that's yeah, I agree. Um, but I mean, the game itself was maybe not that most like that entertaining to to um, to uh, to watch. But I think you touched on a little interesting thing there that Inter, under previous managers, especially these past six years, seven years, have been very poor after the international break. But under Spalletti, something seems to have changed, not just with regards to how 
uh, interperform on the pitch, uh, but as as a unit, the the, the 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 energy they give off seems to be completely different. Um, so uh, that's why we we brought uh, Thanos on today to help us analyze Spalletti, both uh, both comparing him to other Inter coaches and also comparing Spalletti and Spalletti. Uh, you can read the full uh, full full uh, piece of full article analysis tomorrow. But starting now, uh, I mean. What do you think is the biggest difference between... I mean, personally, I think... Let me put it to you this way. Personally, I think that Inter would never have... Would, would, maxim, would have maximum gotten a draw against Spal if this was last season or if it was any of the previous managers who we've had. Whilst this time around, it feels like Inter has a completely different attitude and energy on the pitch. How important for this... Like, what, what, what changes do you think Spalletti has brought on at Inter for this change, uh, if you agree with it? Uh, I think that, first of all, we can't say that the difference is only on Spalletti. Uh, he's not the only responsible for that change. First of all, we have to see that uh, he has three new players that are very good on the ball and are very good at building up uh, from close to Ivandanovic and uh, progressing slowly uh, up on the pitch. Uh, for me, this is the bigger, the biggest, the biggest difference. Skriniar, Vecino, uh, and Borja Valero. Uh, so, for example, can we say that uh, it was Mancini's fault that sometimes the team was a mess due to the build-up? Partly, yes. But partly no, because he didn't have those players, for example. But regarding Spalletti, of course, he has given a lot of uh, has given a lot of movements to the team. And you can see that the players can read and react uh, other players' movements. For example, if the number ten, for example, João Mario drops uh, drops lower, close to the two defensive midfielders. The wingers and the Enticardi and the fullbacks know exactly what to do and how to react. Something that uh, wasn't wasn't always common during the past years. So I think this is the, the biggest difference uh, until now. The, those three new players and the fact that Spalletti has brought a lot of movements to this team. Well, speaking of those uh, movements, I mean, if you, I mean, you've, you've studied Spalletti very extensively. Um, yeah. what, what do you think? Uh, he, how, how has he changed? For example, if you look at when he started at Roma first time around, to when he returned to Roma now again, uh, which and also Inter. How would you say he's developed? Uh, his teams have developed primarily because uh, of the fact that he that the players changed from one team to another. And it's something that, uh, it's a common element between every great coach. The fact that, yes, he has clear ideas and knows exactly what he wants from his players, but everything else uh, is based on the, quali uh, on the qualities of the players and also their drawbacks. So, for example, at Roma, he... After Cassano left and after Montella became basically a bench player, a second choice, uh, he didn't have at the start a striker. So he put uh, Totti as a false nine and behind him uh, Perota, 
which was basically like a very modern uh, treco artista. That his role wasn't to move between the lines and try to receive the ball and pass, for example, behind the defensive line, but it was to identify spaces created by the movements of the two wingers and Totti, who were always trying to drag the opposite defenders out of position and try to move, uh, try to move uh, with good timing in those spaces. And I think this is the, how can I say, the biggest difference? The, char- the characteristic of that Roma. The fact that they were playing a false nine even before Barcelona did, which is something that you always hear about Guardiola reinventing this position. But actually, Spalletti was also playing this way two years before him. And then the very modern number 10. Uh, then, uh, should I continue uh, by explaining the... Yeah, go, 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 continue. Yeah. Uh, then, with, uh, when she returned to Roma, she basically found a team that had two great uh, midfielders start building the game up. Uh, that could make a lot of short passes, keep the ball uh, under heavy pressure, and create. These were Keita and Chanich. And also, uh, in his first, uh, in the 2015-16 season, where he only had six months, in those six months, Zeta played only six games. He started only six games. Uh, so, the uh, this Roma was playing with a lot of strikerless formations. Again, with, for example, uh, Perotti uh, playing between the lines as a false nine, or Falke. Uh, and this combination of false nine and, and very good creative players in the midfield uh, created a, a team that was very short, that was uh, playing a lot of small passes, and this way was also creating a, a structure and was uh, able to have great reactions uh, when the ball was lost. Uh, of course, uh, last year, for example, Spalletti knew that he had to make his, his striker jackal, that he had to use. So the team was based primarily on him and on and Angolan. Uh, this was also a change that was made due to the fact that Keita and Chanis left the team. And uh, De Rossi and Paredes or Strotman became uh, uh, first in place for the, for the whole season. So that may, which are, of course, midfielders have a very different profile. They like to make long passes. They like to, they like a lot of verticality in their game and one touch passing, uh, which makes the team make the uh, play much faster with uh, many more longer balls. Uh, which of, and they used Jekyll basically in a very simple way. They were making long balls towards Jekyll. He was pushing the opposite defensive line. Uh, and that was creating spaces between the lines for Nengolan to run into and yeah, basically create havoc at times. And we saw that against Inter also uh, at San Siro, at the GZ match. Hmm. That's really interesting. Um, do you have uh, um, Mo? Do you want to want to tell us something? Yeah, no, I wanted to know um, how do you think uh, Icardi 
Like, what can Spalletti do to develop Icardi uh, further as a player? He's, uh, I think, uh, he did wonders with uh, Zeko last year, but he didn't really develop Zeko. It was more, more, more of the same for Zeko, just better. Do you think that under Spalletti, Icardi can develop in terms of skill set? Where do you stand on that, Thanos? Uh, I'm pretty sure that Icardi can become a 30-plus uh, goals per year. Uh, but doing striker. more of the same, or doing more of the same, just better, or uh, do you think that Spalletti? Yes, can, because like yeah, we saw we saw under Spalletti, Salah um, developed from just a fast, skillful winger to uh, their highest assist provider. That 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 was not something he was ever famous for. He was uh, at Basel or at Chelsea or Fiorentina. He just ran with the ball and, you know, either he scored or he did the, the, the cross, uh, cross goal. But for, for Roma, he was, he was possibly the most valuable player uh, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, game-changing passes and, 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 and the ability to provide impact on the game. And that was something that he developed under Spalletti. Do you think that the same can be applied in a way uh, to, to Riccardi? I'm, I'm trying to think how, I mean, through repetition of the same things he does now, he can improve. But I don't see, I don't see, by watching Inter, I don't see him doing anything different. I see yeah. a thing that is basically a fit to his talents and trying to take advantage of what he can and can't do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And... To be honest with you, if he scores 30 to 35 goals per year and does nothing else for me, he's a great player. <laughs> if he scores 25 goals for you, and he's a great player anyway, I know, I know. But uh, I'm just yeah. wondering if if, uh, if if there's something that uh, that we might be uh, on the lookout for in terms of uh, movement or, or or contribution in the final third. That uh, until now, yeah. I haven't seen do. I haven't seen him do anything new. Uh, there's a lot of movement behind him from the two wingers, Raul Mario or Brozovic or Gagliardini or Vecino. And he basically acts in the final third most of it. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, would you like to... Uh, um, sorry. Max, would you like to... I'll hand you over. To, uh, I'll, I'll let you cross-examine Thanos. <laughs> oh, boy. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Thanos, do you uh, can you spot any glaring differences between uh, Stefano Pioli's approach with Inter and Spalletti's tactics this year? Uh, yes, of course. Uh, the first one is the is defensively. Uh, defensively, this this year uh, has lines that are much more close to each other. Uh, the team also moves in unison, which is something I think that is very underestimated in football because not a lot of fans and journalists look at it. The team, when they have to drop back during defensive transition, for example, they do that in unison and the spaces between the lines don't open. And of course, they play uh, much more zonally this year defensively. Uh, the first priority is always the ball and to them the player. 
other than that, yes, I think that some things are much more structured. I think uh, offensively, purely was giving a lot of freedom to to Perisic and Andreva to move between the lines. Uh, this year they have uh, this freedom, but it's they don't move freely all over the pitch, for example, in always. But uh, pretty much only when the ball uh, moves towards the final third. Uh, so yes, I think primarily the difference are in defense. And offensively, of course, uh, a lot has to do with the new players. Messino, Borja Valero, and uh, who else is Yeah, with those two. For example, Pioli couldn't do uh, offensively have a team that was making always good vertical passes and had uh, defensive mid- midfielders unmarked and ready to receive the ball with Contopia and Pagliardini or anyone else who was playing there. Hmm. I'm really interested to hear, because I've read uh, a lot of it, uh, the Italian media is today ranting and raving about Roberto Gagliardini, uh, about how he, he, was, uh, he, he won, he, he showed that he can play at, in, in Spalletti's system, he was Inter's new Strootman. Personally, I, I was a bit worried when, when, when for Gagliardini at Spalletti, because I didn't think he was the kind of midfielder that I've seen him, that Spalletti has, has, uh, has utilized before. But it seems that that now the Italian media is, is, is you know everyone is in, in completely in agreement that they that Spalletti has found the perfect uh, position for uh, for Gagliardini. Um, do you do you agree with this assessment that he he can be the new he is the new Strootman at Inter, or do you th- or do you still see some uh, problems on the horizon in the relationship tactically at least between Gagliardini and Spalletti? Uh, no, I think that he fits tactically. He fits with the players around him and he fits that position, uh, dif- which is basically a defensive midfielder that has uh, freedom to move towards the penalty area in certain situations, uh, which is something that he does very well. He has great timing at attacking the penalty area and he's also, he's also quite athletic. He's also very, very tall, which is a big advantage, for example, to have another player that runs towards the area and is good at, at getting shaders. But regarding Strootman, I don't think they are the same kind of player. I think Strootman is one of the most intelligent players in Serie He's a player that if you watch him, if you pay a lot of attention to his game, he's always trying to find the right spaces and he's always giving balance to the team. Uh, for example, when a player uh, moves upwards and there's a space that needs to be covered uh, for the defensive transition, he moves there. And he always keeps the shape intact for, for Roma. At least he used to with Spalletti. Uh, and I don't see this. I don't see Gallardini doing the same things. Uh, yes, to me, in terms of game, of game intelligence, Borja Valero is the one that matches with Strootman. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know, probably because of the height, because of the, the body type, they compare Gagliardini and Strootman. Mm-hmm. Probably. 
You see, that's, yeah. why we bro- that's why we brought you on, to debunk all these stupid myths that the media presents, because you actually are, you know, you're a coach and you know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> so, I um, think so. <laughs> yes, I think so too. <laughs> I think so too. I, I agree 100%. So, um, of course I'm making mistakes. That doesn't mean that what I say no. is a law. <laughs> no, 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 no. In no, no, five I, years, probably, I think that uh, I'll find mistakes in what I'm saying. For example. <laughs> <Anyways>. <laughs> I'm sure you will. That's, that's basically the basis of academic, and you're a very academic person. Uh, I, can, I can attest to that after working with you for a few years. Right, but if we, if we look at... Um, uh, there's one more thing I wanted to ask you, because this is something that I've thought about for, for a couple of... For, for almost a year now, and that's... Where do you, th- how well would you, like in your opinion, do you think that uh, Ant- Antonio Kandreva could be the, 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 the solution to the... Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like, I like Kandreva. Leave me alone. <laughs> okay. Ig- ignore, the, ignore that one. Ignore him, Thanos. <laughs> no, he's, he's, yeah. he, no, look, I, I'm thinking, do you think that Antonio Kandreva could be uh, the solution to Inter's uh, right, right-sided fullback problem. Like, as, as in, how would, you, how, how would you, how do you think he would fare, like, if he was moved down as a fullback? On the right uh, side. Uh, played as a, not as a fullback, as a wingback, which is basically kind of the same, but has three centre-backs behind him instead of two. And it's the thing that he has done the most. I think he did that. He did that for sure with the uh, national team during yeah. the Conte era. Uh, I think he did that at least two or three times, probably with Lazio. Mm. And he did this also last year. But for Inter, I mean, looking at Joao Cancelo on that side, I don't, I don't see why he should play there. Considering Cancelo is a player that knows the position, he's technique-wise, he's pretty astute. And yeah. Okay. In your opinion, if he was moved uh, as a fullback, for example, who would play as a winner? That way. Caramoa. That's true. I never thought about that. Caramoa. You, you think Caramoa would suit that better? Right now, no. Because... He's unprepared. He didn't even play one minute. I think we shouldn't ban him by demanding a lot of him. I think he's a good player. He will be able to become a first-team player, but not now. Okay. You got my hopes up there, Thanos. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. The, I'm actually the... more confident that Taramo will succeed than I was. Okay. That's that's a really interesting. Uh, wh- wh- why why is that? Like why do you think Karamo? Like what what about Karamo gives you that that idea? Uh, the fact that he was playing in a role and in the championship that was uh, much closer to the the, the Italian one. Mm-hmm. For example, uh, in Brazil, the the quality of the defenders is different. Uh, from what I have seen, they, they tend to be, they are not always, but they tend to be much more aggressive uh, towards the player that has the ball. And that, of course, uh, makes it easy for someone that has good technique because he has always seen players coming towards him and he can avoid them. Uh, in, in 
Zurich, of course, this is not a law, but it's more common than it is in Brazil, for example. Defenders tend to be more basic in one versus ones. So they, they, they fall back when they have them in front of you, which means that you can't always pass them. Hmm. Uh, that's, that's, did you understand what I said? Yeah, 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 I kind of think I did. Uh, uh, but, these things, yes, another thing is that uh, he wasn't forced to always press, he wasn't forced, forced to always be in a great defensive position, he wasn't forced to, to return back uh, very quickly, he wasn't forced to do a lot of things, primarily because he was making an impact on the pitch, which is something that we always see, for example, the best players in the team don't have to do certain things defensively. And mm. at the end of it, he wasn't, uh, of course, he wasn't the, the star. The team had Berzic, the team had Icardi to do, yes, basically not to do certain things, which, of course, forced the, uh, would have forced Gabigol to always turn back, return uh, back the uh, press, things he didn't know how to do. <laughs> and the other thing, no, he did not know how to do that. And the other thing was that uh, you don't see a lot of uh, one-pass combinations and this fast, fast-paced combinations on the wings and all over the pitch uh, in Brazil. At least with Santos, that we watched games of teams of somebody that was this. So uh, when he when plays, used to that's the ball 10 times every time he receives, he receives it. Although he's forced due to coaching or due to the smaller spaces to always take one or two touches, uh, this is a whole, other, a whole other world that he has to get used to. So for them, it was, it was very difficult from the start to become important for him. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. I and thought about it. So, so yes, Paramo uh, has played around, I think, has played 38 or 40 games at this age in uh, Liga. Hmm. Has played at a very high level. He has experience, and he, I don't know, he's a player that was playing in a very defensive team. He was playing in a team that was always uh, waiting back and was ready to counter attack. And from what I saw, he. For him, the problem, at least for now, is that he he has to learn how to play in a team that has the ball a lot of time, mm-hmm. that has a lot of possession. But uh, in terms of his uh, his physicality, he's he's in another planet in, in comparison to Capitol. He's fast. He has he's fast. He's quick. He he has a good jump. He has things uh, that are in his favor that uh, also Capitol didn't have, which can help at least at the start. Well, that's that's going to be interesting to watch now when Cancelo comes back. Um, before we let you go, uh, so we're only at the uh, uh, beginning of the season, so I'm going to ask you two really uh, quick questions. Number one is, who do you think the top five of the Serie A, how will it end, starting with the fifth to first position? And uh, do you, who do you think will become the capo cannoniere? Uh, Capo Canoniere, I think uh, 
it will be a fight between Icardi and uh, let me think. Uh, I think that if Mertens if Mertens was going to play a whole season uh, instead of Mertens, I would put Mertens, but I think they wouldn't share the, the position, so I have to take him out. Let's say Cardi won't be playing. Mm. And championship from fifth to first. Yes. Uh, fifth, I have to say Roma. Fourth, uh, Fourth, Milan, third, uh, Inter, second, Napoli, and first, Juventus. Hmm. That's, that's pretty much what everyone has. It's just the difference that some, some, some people have Napoli as number one and some have Juventus as number one. But other than that, I think everyone is kind of uh, in agreement with that. Right. Uh, thank yeah. you so much for coming on, Thanos. Uh, we're we're yeah. really we're we're gonna bring you on every now and again, and uh, next time you come on, we're gonna also ask people to send in their questions, tactical questions they have uh, about Inter to to ask you on air. Um, thank you so much for coming on, and your piece is out tomorrow uh, on Sempre Inter. It's called Tactical: The Tactical Analysis of Luciano Spalletti. Uh, if people want to follow you on Twitter, it's at Thanos Gelas, right? Uh, yes, but uh, yes, we'll either put it on the podcast or spell it out because I don't think there'll be a bit handy. Okay. It's uh, basically T-H-A-N-O-S-C-H-E-L-A-S. Okay, perfect. Thank you so yeah. much for coming on. And, uh, uh, thanks for having me. And uh, I can, I can, and again, that, that piece you wrote, I think I've read it, like when you send it to me, I think I've read it like four or five times. It's really, really brilliant. Thank you so much. Right. Do before we go, uh, before we continue uh, to to our other topics, I uh, wanted to g- give you Max uh, one. Uh, I want to hear you more about what you thought about Spal because they scared me. I, 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 I you know, I, I was. Uh, I was thinking this before the match that they were going to be so difficult to play and Boriello and Paloski and they seem to cause us trouble but Skriniar is he the signing of the season so far? Because he is to me like he's absolutely brilliant isn't he? If it's not him it's Borja Valero like we're, we have two of the most shrewdest signings of the summer um, did you see him and Perisic uh, trading compliments <laughs> on social media which kind of goes back to your point, uh, Nima, where there's a different uh, vibe to the center team. I think they like each other. I think that locker room strife that uh, appeared last season is kind of uh, in the past. But uh, Skrinar, I, I mean, it's only three games, but it's tough to say uh, that uh, it's tough not to get excited. Did you see a shot that went off the crossbar? That would have been a beauty. Yeah, that was... Do you guys remember that goal that Cannavaro scored? Cannavaro, yeah. I was yeah, thinking I, that when I saw this exactly. <laughs> it just reminded me of that Cannavaro goal, didn't it? Like, that, <laughs> like a central defender from nowhere decides to shoot and just kaboom! <laughs> kaboom, indeed. Uh, no, but I mean... I mean, this this uh, this Inter. I mean, sure, it wasn't. What, what I got to tell you, what I thought was really interesting is that before, if this was Inter under Mancini, uh, the second version, or Mazzarri, or any of the other coaches we've had, the, you know, if we played against a team that's compact and this def- defending this deep, Inter th- that game would have ended nil nil. 
Inter wouldn't have found any locks. Now, I understand that the fact that we got a penalty thanks to VAR kind of opened up the match as a whole for us. But to me, I saw something else than that. I saw an Inter that tried to attack in different ways. Via the wings, down the middle, long balls. There is a variety to their game, I think, so far into the season that, I, that, that we have thanks to Borja Valero and Skriniar, who are so, so good at, 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 with the ball at their feet that I haven't seen before, uh, at least not for six, seven years. And that, for me, bodes very well for the future. What do you think, Mo? Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Uh, like I said earlier, I think, I think the thing that we're seeing the most, uh, most improvement in is, like, you're, like you just said, is the variety in which we uh, seem to be uh, dangerous in the final third. It's not like cross, 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 cross. No, no, no. We're, we're able to overload flanks. Uh, the guys are, uh, the wingers switch sides, wingers join each other on different flanks, and of course, great movement and penetration from the middle, which is something that we hadn't seen in such a long time. I mean, we, we haven't seen someone distribute the ball uh, with the intention of making, a, uh, making an assist through the middle since... I can't, I can't remember when. Uh, you Schneider? Know. Schneider, maybe? Schneider? No, yeah, I mean, yeah, maybe <laughs> after Schneider, uh, we saw some uh, ill-fated attempts by Guarin, but since Ko- then... Kovacic, we, Kovacic did some too. Uh, yeah, Kovacic tried, but, you know, he was, uh, it was premature. But, uh, but yeah, since, since 2011, 2012, maybe, we haven't seen proper concerted efforts through the middle and not just because we have a good trequartista in João Mario, but because we have, uh, like Thanos was, was saying, good distribution and good movement from the bo- with the ball from the back all the way through the front, through Borja Valero, through uh, Gagliardini or Vecino, all the way to uh, João Mario. So I think that's, like you said, we 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 weren't. I mean, they they were they were locked down. They locked us out, but we weren't impotent or sterile. You knew that the goal was coming and. And it was amazing because not only uh, not only the the team looked like they were having fun, but you know, fifteen twenty minutes in a match like this last year, uh, and uh, the the curva would be you know yeah, it would become a bit flat. Uh, they wouldn't be singing. They'd be a bit you know a bit of jeers and boos when uh, when balls would be missed. None of that. The whole like every, everyone seems to have been bought in to uh, bought in on, on on the project. And uh, yeah, I think I think the the, the press conferences, the interviews uh, that that uh, Spalletti, the, the way he talks, how how, how long his conferences are, uh, his interview with Gazetta last week, it it's all part and parcel of this thing. Like this whole uh, elated good. Uh, feeling, this good feeling that's currently uh, flowing through the team. I don't know if you guys noticed it against Palo or not, but I saw something that made me like made me think a little bit, and that's how Antonio Candreva moved, was much more centralized in his movement on the pitch, and his only shot on goal was also through the down the middle. Now, we know that Candreva has played in a trequartista role before, so we know that he's adapted to doing that. Do you think that maybe he could be that? Uh, he could. He could. Uh, do you see him kind of competing in that role and then play maybe João Cancelo as a right winger and D'Ambrosio, like all of them on the pitch at the same time? W- w- what do you think, Max? I'm not answering that question, Nima. 
<laughs> you're out. <laughs> Honestly, Nima, like, it's Come on. We, we haven't had this conversation with Max a million times. You think like Max is going to answer any question uh, about Kandreva with any spin on positivity on it? <laughs> and, uh, 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 you might, and you might as well be asking me if Handanovic can play to Kartista, you know. It's, <laughs> Uh, just like the little enzyme that could, I keep on trying. Right. <laughs> okay, come on. No, but seriously. Well, I, I, have, I have to side with Max here. I think I think I honestly think Kandreva does does good things. I, I I agree with you that Kandreva does more good than bad on the flanks. And the 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 more we see of both him and Perisic cutting in towards the middle, the better off the team is. But I mean, there's no way this guy can play three quartista. I think you know his. Uh, I, I you know I know I don't agree. I'll answer okay. for Max. Okay, Max and Max said Thanks, he's, not re- he's not replying <laughs> to that. So I guess I guess I guess that's both that's for both of you there. <laughs> right. But last thing on Spal Nima, uh, <laughs> they're gonna stay up. They're a good team. Yeah. They're 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 a decent little team. They're well organized. They play well together. Like you said, Boriello and. Uh, uh, the old Milan striker, their Palashki, like, hey, that's a decent side. Like I said, they're gonna, they're gonna stay up and just yeah, what you no. guys alluded, what you guys alluded to it, uh, previously is like in, the old Inter wouldn't have had the flexibility and the versatility to to change tactics and try different things. The old Inter would have banged their head against the wall again, repeatedly hoping for for different results. So secretly, I'm pleased with the performance. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I also think like about Spal, like you were saying, it's not like they, they came to the uh, 57,000 uh, pretty much packed without the third uh, tier being opened, San Siro. They, they, they conceded the goal, but they went on the offensive in the second half. It was impressive and they played well, you know. So, so no, I agree with what you're saying, Max. I think they're, they're definitely not, they're, they're, if, if early signs are anything to go by, they don't look like they're going to be uh, suffering too much in terms of uh, relegation scares towards the end of the season. And exactly. And did you guys? They had like a, a a contingent of fans at San Siro. Like I could hear them cheering and calling for a couple <laughs> penalties and stuff. I was surprised. Like they had a they had a good traveling contingent. Uh, I'm going to keep my eye on that spell going forward. And uh, yeah, wish them the best. Um, yeah. I, I'm going to ask you guys a trivial, a little trivia question. Um, there is a connection, uh, a very big connection between Spal and Inter in terms of one very big legendary Inter player. Do you know who that is? No idea. Max? No. It is the captain of La Grande Inter, uh, Mr. Armando Picchi, who, was, who came from Spal to Inter after playing one season there very impressively. He jo- and I don't then know if- he- yeah, and then he joined uh, Inter um, uh, and then played at Inter for numerous seasons, captaining the team to two uh, European Cup or Champions Leagues, uh, as it was known then, uh, and two Intercontinental or World Cups uh, for, um, for Inter. So, yeah, the, he played for Spal uh, in the, uh, the 59-60 season, uh, did a really, really good job there, and then came to... Uh, then came to uh, to Inter where he became the captain, uh, and uh, the rest is as they call history. <laughs> nice. Well, yeah, I thought, I thought you might like that. <laughs> it's not just it's not just about 
it's not just uh, pro cam driver propaganda we do on the show. <laughs> so, uh, or, or anti anti cam driver propaganda for you. Uh, so, uh, right. Um, uh, so one last thing on uh, on Spal. Uh, who do you guys think uh, Semperinter.com readers voted was the man of the match against Spal? Uh, Mo. Yeah, I think it was Skriniar. Was uh, was general consensus by everyone? No. Yes, it was. Fifty-nine and a half percent. Milan Skriniar was by far the best man of the, according to our readers. And for me, I had the person who was in second place as the man of the match. Uh, who do you who do you think that was, uh, uh, Max? I had Perisic as the man of the match. That's exactly who I had as well, uh, and he yeah. was second with 19% of the vote. And in third, we had uh, Roberto Gagliardini with 9.5% of the vote. But other than that, yeah, that's, that seems to be the general consensus there, uh, that uh, Skriniar was the best, although you and I differ. Um, right, uh, on Saturday at 3 p.m., which is a rather odd time for Inter to be playing, or for the Serie A to be playing at all, uh, Inter are away uh, to a team that literally handed our asses back to us last season uh, when we played this fixture, namely away to Crotone, uh, a Crotone side that pulled off what can only be described as a miracle by avoiding relegation the way they did. Um, now they've lost Falcinelli, they have the same coach, uh, they're one year wiser, but I mean... You've, I'm going to ask, ask you to answer this, Max, because you're the one who say that it's easy sailing, smooth sailing. To <laughs> so wh- how, why do you think that Inter will go to a stadium where they were ripped apart last season and come away with, with a win? Uh, first reason is the revenge factor. Um, Inter was embarrassed uh, in Calabria last season. And uh, don't, you thi- uh, don't think for a second that's but the Balletti doesn't know that. Um, the second reason is Crotona can't score. They haven't scored yet this season. Um, if you can't score, you can't win games. I think uh, Inter on a revenge mission, I think we punish them. That's, that's very, very well put, uh, very well summarized. Uh, Mo, do you agree with this? Do you see, do you see, do you see this a walkover, or, 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 do you think this will, or do you agree more with me that this will be a, com- this will be a diff- very difficult match? I don't know about walkover. Uh, there you know, the, the cliche is uh, there are no easy matches in the Serie A, and it's a fact, especially when you're playing away, regardless to whom. But I think last year's, uh, last year's, uh, or last season's, this year's, last season's um, loss, there were very, there's, it was a very particular time, and it happened in, uh, under a very particular set of circumstances. They were fighting relegation. They're not at the moment. It's still the beginning of the season. You know, they, they don't have, fire under their bums yet and we we were falling apart it was uh it was the epic unwinding of the pioli project so uh, and again like max says the the revenge factor is also very important Uh, so it's not going to be an easy game but i also think that uh anything less than a win would be a disappointment in the in this fixture, they they have one point from three games and they haven't scored a goal like uh, like you said, Max. So, yeah, it's a uh, it should be uh, it should be a straightforward uh, affair. Okay, well, let's predict the straightforward affair then, Mo. Uh, how how much? What do you think the score will be, and will be the scores? 
You know me. Uh, you don't need to ask me anymore. It's uh, either a two or three zero, and Nicardi and Paris is scoring. You know. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um, what about you, Max? Yeah, I'm on the same uh, wavelength as uh, Mo. I think it's going to be two nothing into with the Cardi and Perisic as the goal scores. We do. Um, uh, you see, that's the thing. I, I don't think it's going to be two three nil. Um, we've got. I, th- I think we'll play. Um, I, I think we'll play. Um, I think we'll, we'll win two one, but it will be a very difficult game because you know I know that they've been they haven't scored yet, but I just. It's, it's it's you know there's so many former like there's, there's this informal interconnection like you have Alex Cordas our former Primavera goalkeeper who I think has been really good uh, mm. then you have Davide Faraoni our former uh, Primavera yeah. defender who who I also really like then you have a Juventus midfielder Mandragora you have you know they have they, they do have their players and I I think that and I also think they've got a pretty good coach so I think you know I think it will be two one. Um, I think I think Mr. Icardi will score again because he that's kind of what he does, um, and and I think uh, the, the, we'll see a goal from Vecino because I think Vecino didn't play against uh, Spal because he was being rested to play this game. Um, mm. I think I think that's the kind of midfielder that Inter need, uh, and I think that um, being Swedish and being used to Swedish shit players scoring against Inter. Uh, I think it will be Marcus Rodian who will score for um, for Crotone. So uh, yeah. Okay, yeah, just any... to pu- just to put your mind at ease here, Nima, and just doing a little quick research. Roma last year under Spalletti, four nothing and two nothing against Crotone. So we'll see. <laughs> will not give up on the. <laughs> You're like you relentlessly gonna keep jinxing us, aren't you? Like Jesus Christ! I thought you told me you were half Calabrese yourself or something. Like, That's right. Is- I don't. Don't, don't believe, believe in jinxes. You don't believe in jinxes. Okay, well, you know. No. At Massimo underscore Deluca one if you're if you're angry Saturday night around five six PM CET and you have just had their asses back had their back to them. You know who to talk to. If I had the influ- if I had uh, the power to influence matches, uh, Juventus wouldn't have won uh, six uh in a row, all right? Look, even God couldn't stop that. And we know, <laughs> never mind. Never mind. Let's not even get into that. Right. <laughs> but Let's maybe Varkan. <laughs> yes, that's something. I'm really <laughs> nice. glad you mentioned that because uh, we're going to go. Uh, let's move on to the part of the show where we pay tribute as well as rip the piss out of something. Starting with the uh, frog of the show with Mr. Max Deluca. This week's Frog of the Week are the 55,000 Chilean fans who signed up for a Facebook protest that uh, demanding Alex- Alexis Sanchez breaks up with his girlfriend because of his <laughs> disappointing performances for the national. <laughs> so so there's, a fa- yeah, there's a Facebook event that's uh, being organized that 55,000 supporters... <laughs> are going to march uh, to the National Stadium in Santiago, <laughs> demanding no Alexis Sanchez breaks up with his girlfriend. Like, <laughs> Tell me this isn't true. <laughs> this is absolutely true. And this is not so the sad. first time this has happened with Alexis Sanchez. Uh, 
Could you give us a little bit more background here? Why? What has she done? What's going on here? Um, a former Chilean coach <laughs> calls him fat and lazy. So, and the last two performances um, for the Chilean national team during the break that just happened, they said he looked big. He looked. He wasn't running for the ball and stuff like that. So, I guess his new girlfriend is to blame somehow in, in this. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, so they, I'm not saying it's logical, but uh, yeah, so after some uh, some sleuthing around, these fans decided they're going to blame uh, Sanchez's girlfriend, and this is not the first time this has happened with uh, Alexis. Um, more than 14,000 uh, people on Facebook um, were going to march to the, uh, the Emirates Stadium in North London to protest, to demand that he leaves Arsenal. Um, but only five fans turned up for that one, so I don't think this one's going to actually come into fruition. But, I mean, why not sign up for a march against sex trafficking or violence against women? Why why sign up for a march to <laughs> the man he breaks up with a girl? It has nothing to do with anything, so it's just, just another, sad, just another uh, example that the apocalypse is truly upon us. <laughs> that is the most bizarre thing I've heard in my life. Uh, I, I I don't know what to say. I I, I don't. I'm, I'm I'm lost for words there. There's they, there's stupid and then there's stupid. Right. <laughs> let's uh, let's move on to something slightly bit more uh, positive with uh, this week's Morati with Mr. Mohamed Nasser. Oh my God! He is beautiful. He is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, my Marathi this week is a bit of a conundrum. I have two things that I want to really give thanks for. Uh, the first, actually, I think we, we spoke about both earlier. We both have to do the spell game. The first is uh, the crowd at uh, the Miazza, the 57,000 to watch a newly promoted side on a Sunday afternoon in early September. I don't think it's ever happened, 57,000. People, the stadium was pumping. It was uh, there was singing in the beginning of the second half when when uh, we were on the back foot. It was it was something really beautiful to see. So that that, that is a thing that I I'm uh, I was super super happy uh, to see, uh, albeit from far away on the TV. The second thing I'd like to pay homage to is Perisic's left foot for that incredible possibly goal of the season. Uh, that second goal, what a what a finish! Like time literally stopped. You could see even he hadn't he hadn't realized for like half a second or a third of a second that it had actually gone in once it, once it went in because his view was blocked by the spell defender. It was it was that that moment was just a uh, yeah fantastic. Here here agree. Mm. Right, let's move on to uh, slightly more negative things. Uh, this week's moji, which I'll be presenting myself. Right, so I'm also kind of divided uh, by uh, which one to choose here because there's two things that have been bugging the crap out of me uh, recently. And one of them is uh, this, um, this, this, as as, uh, Eduardo spoke about last week, this the Italian media and their hounding of the VAR and how everyone from Buffon to chief editorial writers to former national team players like Tardelli, etc., etc., 
all former Juventus players, or current Juventus players, I might add, are very critical of the VAR and say that they should remove it. And Tardelli actually said these words. It's better to make a mistake than to disrupt the game like this, which just makes <laughs> absolutely yeah. no sense. Which actually makes zero sense to me. Um, but yeah, that's, already... that's lit- literally <laughs> the opposite of what the right thing is, you know, like... <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I was going to say, you guys are kids. If you guys were to give, give like, an example of what is not to, doing, to do the right thing, like, how, when you can do the right thing and you don't do it, a good example of that is just that. It's better yeah. to be wrong than to wait for things to go well. <laughs> Dumbass. Right, yeah, no, I'm not even, I'm not even going to go there. But no, since, since we've already spoken about this, and Eduardo pinpointed this uh, last week, and he's absolutely right, they don't like the VAR. They don't like the VAR at all. And I got to say, I do under, I think the VAR is great. I just think that it, there, there is a problem here because... There's teething we, problems. Yes, but there is teething problems, but there is something that is easily fixed, and this is it. If the TV companies... I mean, by the time that the referee got to see the images from VAR... The TV companies who are producing uh, the, uh, the, 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 the matches and, and broadcasting it showed the incident before the penalty six, seven times from six, seven different angles before the referee was able to look. I mean, come on, it doesn't no, take think, that long I think, time. I think the procedure is, uh, is that there's a, a, a VAR referee, and if the VAR referee can't can't come to a conclusive decision, then he asks the referee to take another look as well. Okay. I think that's, that's the procedure, and that's why... I, 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 hope, uh, I, hope, I hope that's the procedure. I yeah, really no, hope that's the procedure. Because last week, uh, the, I, because against uh, Fiorentina, uh, with the penalty, uh, I can't remember who the referee was. Uh, who was it? He, he didn't actually have to go to the screen. He just, uh, through his earpiece, he, he got confirmation that it was, in fact, a penalty which, you know, it was dubious, but he got a, he got a confirmation that Icardi, the, 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 the tackle by Tomovic, I think it was Tomovic, or uh, who was it? I can't remember. But anyway, the tackle on Icardi was a penalty, and, and it was given without him having to go to the screen. So I think what had happened yesterday uh, was that the VAR referee couldn't conclude or wasn't, wasn't confident enough to give the ruling directly, so he asked uh, the match referee to, uh, to go to the screen and take a look. But I think, I think that's the problem. The problem is communication by the Lega uh, of what the actual procedures are of how to rule in the VAR, you know. Uh, there's also that uh, Dalbert, uh, Dalbert tackle on uh, Borello, Paloski, I can't remember who it was. And uh, they, they, the, this guy, Luca Mora, he got a yellow card for protesting. The referee didn't, didn't go to Vitus. And, you know, so... But the thing is, that, that's is, what is, I mean. Is, like, he, is he obligated to take a look then? Because it's, No, it's, that's the thing. That's the thing. Like, it is always the referee's decision. Like, yeah, yeah, the, VAR, that, the VAR is there to help the referee. If the referee feels he's confident... Yeah, yeah. But that's, that's what I mean. It's, it, it, I think it's a problem in communication of procedure and, and like tightening down the procedure, you know, how fast to do it, who, who says what, when, blah, blah, blah. And it's just, we're, we're only three games in, you know, we're only three, yeah. three match days in the, in the fucking season. So, you know, I can Come imagine. By, yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> by, by week 15, uh, things will uh, have been, uh, you know, the learning curve will have been ridden out so much more and, and, and yeah. things will have worked themselves up uh, for okay. sure. 
Right, well, uh, th- th- that was kind of my first emoji. Now yeah. I have another one, and that's the fact that if Gylfi Sigurdsson is worth 40 million pounds or 50 million pounds when he moved from Everton to Tottenham, can somebody explain to me what the British media is smoking when they don't think that Ivan Perisic is worth 55 million pounds? Because that makes absolutely no sense. Like, <laughs> was it the British I mean, media or is it that, that one idiot on Sky who, who just no, said that? No, it's, it is the British media. Like the way that the British media have talked about, well, for 55 million pounds, he's not worth that much. We can, yeah. you know, we'll, we can, blah, 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 blah. And yet there was one guy from Sky who actually, he's actually a pretty, a pretty good journalist. I just think he got it absolutely wrong. When, yeah. he, uh, when he when uh, when when he got uh, when when that, when when he when he tweeted what happened that yeah no I mean uh, for sure for sure we know the British media are I mean the whole Premiership is you know like I don't want to say something too uh, offhandedly and, and general offhanded and general but like the Premiership in, is is very like egocentric they 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 know their players they over they overpay for for premiership players. They don't rate players coming from outside very highly. Blah 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 blah. And you know it looks funny to people who actually watch world football from the outside looking in. But you know, it is what it is. You know, you can't you can't blame them for thinking that a twenty year old twenty eight year old winger at a troubled Italian club that's managed to finish seventh is not really worth fifty million pounds. Although we know that. The story is very different, but you know, like if you but take a look at the headlines, yeah. But yes, but that's what I mean. There's a difference between being a fan and, yeah. being, and this being your profession. If this is yeah. your profession, you owe it to your readers and to yourself, if you have one iota of professional pride, to do a little bit of research. And Fake if you're news. Requ- <laughs> no, but seriously, like it's it's just it's just mind-boggling. And Gilfi yeah. Sigurdsson is, in my opinion, a very good player. He's you know, but. There is no way that you can tell me that Perisic is not one class better. I, I just won't. Come on, like then, then that's fake news. That's fake news. You know, it's 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 ridiculous. And and this 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 this, you know, these Premier League guys, you know, the, these Prem faces, like they do realize that football that there are there is football played in other countries other than England. I hope, and that there has and that the Prem, you know. And that the Premier League isn't even the best league in the world, if you ask me. Yeah, I, for I, sure. I think the La Liga. I think La Liga is better. You know? Ah, come on. <laughs> no, but seriously, La Liga is not a league. <laughs> no, but La Liga, has, La Liga two, has two strong teams, but it's uh, no, maybe it three. But uh, you know, it's not. Uh, I don't know. Going uh, back to the. Going back to the Premier League for a second, guys. Uh, our friend uh, Frank De Boer is out of a job again. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy. I mean, the thing is with the thing is with him is that basically he he repeated what happened at Inter again. He took over from a manager like he took over from from uh, what's his name, Big Sam Allardyce, and yeah. the club directors gave him a big Big Sam Allardyce squad and expected him to play total Ajax football. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> like <laughs> those Blueprint two are things. disaster, in. yeah. It's, exa- it's exactly that. Here's a Mancini squad. Now go play Tiki Taka. <laughs> what? Yeah. No. It's, I don't know. I feel no, uh, sorry uh, for uh, the guy. I yeah, think no, he's a I good know. coach. Not only that, but play it in four games, in four matches. Like, we want to see results now. Yeah, come on. It's, it's not going to happen. No. Yeah, yeah if, if Zamperini would have done that, it would have been front page news. Oh, it only 
four matches, blah, 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 blah. But uh, I think they hired another interest, uh, Roy Hodge, former Roy interest, Hodgson, Roy Hodgson, yeah. to be. Yeah, Roy Hodgson, hmm. yeah. Uh, the reason why we lost Roberto Carlos yeah. to Roy Hodgson, I'll, I'll, I'll never, never forgive him for that. And I can tell you that, n- neither will Roberto Carlos. When he speaks of Roy Hodgson, he's not happy. He, he does not like Roy Hodgson. And who can blame him? Um, right, uh, let's, uh, that was everything we had from uh, this week's Studio Inter. It became a really extra long Studio Inter. I want to thank uh, Carla Gaganes of Goal, uh, Thanos Gelas, Eduardo, who had to leave us. And also I'd like to thank uh, Mr. Max Saluka, who rushed home. No problemo. You can send your Kendreva love letters to at Nima the Kendreva apologist on Twitter. <laughs> <all right>? <laughs> <laughs> oh God! <laughs> well played. And your Nagatomo love you can send to at M Nasar. <laughs> That's so <not laughs> true, by the way. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thanks for coming on, Mo. It's great having you. Always a pleasure, guys. Always a pleasure. And my name is Nima Tavali Rutsari, and until next week, sempre e solo, forza Inter. So